Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. You're listening to 40 and 20, the Watch Cooker podcast with your hosts, Andrew and my good friend Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? I'm doing well. You know, Andrew, it's been a little while since we've talked about our live production. I was hoping we could talk about for that five, ten minutes. Uh, we are live produced, you guys. That's really cool. I'm just joking. We don't need to talk about it. But Which is why it's so bad. Right, Everett does all the production in flight, and that's why all the audio complaints that you have—they're totally valid because he does a just okay job. Just okay. He's not an audio engineer. He's I mean, not an engineer of any sorts. I, I am—I am the audio engineer, which is not to say I am an audio engineer. Yeah, <laughs> you are though. I mean, you—you've got—we've four years now. Uh, yeah, five no, years? Yeah, we're going on five. So, so November, November of this year will be five so years. So if anybody is looking for an audio engineer with five years of real experience, <laughs> Everett's not your guy, all right? So let's just be super clear for those of you on the hunt for it. But if you're looking for the audio <laughs> engineer of the 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast, I am your guy. He is the guy. Five years experience. Um, no, Andrew, I'm doing pretty well. We've... Uh, um, Got a bunch of stuff going on at work. I've got a a, a jury trial next week. Which, surprise! Yeah, it, and it's a surprise jury trial, which is <clears throat> the best kind of jury trial. And so, um, you, you know, litigators, so civil litigators in 2024 do not do jury trials. I think it's, in, in Oregon, I think it's like point zero no point one percent of all civil litigations proceed to a jury trial in oregon so one in a thousand lawsuits proceed to it which means so i'm an attorney now with uh, a dozen years of experience and i've i've never done a jury trial i've done i've done the preparation for a handful of jury trials, but they've all settled. And so this will be, and, and this is not going to settle, I don't think. So this will be my first jury trial. And so the, the preparation for a jury trial versus a bench trial, which is to a judge, is probably triple. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so... Just because of the administrative stuff that goes into it. Yeah. And, and so we're kind of all hands on deck at the office and... Uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be good. It's going to be, it's kind of a boring case, but that's nice considering it's going to be probably the first time I'm interacting with a jury. You are going to love it. You might move to criminal law after that. Yeah, no, I'm sure I will like it. There's a lot of anxiety that I have right now about the uncertainties, you know, the things I don't know. I've seen jury trials. Uh, is it the same administrative process, like same with Vordier and everything that goes into a criminal process? It's exactly the same. Yeah. Dude, you are going to have a blast. I think so. Yeah. Or Vordier is, is a little bit less dynamic than in a criminal case. Make it that dynamic. Like just drag it out. Yeah. The judge is not going to put up with that. Uh, Ham it up. Yeah. I no, think now's the, it might be your only chance. And, and I will. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll have some fun with it, but it, it's, it, it's a lot. And so I'm feeling that stress. I think you're going to have a blast. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm excited for you to to get that opportunity because I'm always I, I've always been really jealous of attorneys going through that process because I sat through 
many of them. Well, you know, th- that's the other, I mean, that's the only other aspect to this is there's a bit of performance anxiety that I don't have with a judge. Uh, you, you know, at this point I've done, I don't know. 20,000. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe 50 bench trials, uh, to a judge, maybe 60, 70, something like that. Uh, and, and so, I'm super comfortable in that environment. I'm super comfortable with the things a judge is going to think and and how I resolve the mistakes I'm going to make. It, it's a different, it's a different. But you're a homie and you talk to people really well. Yeah, no, I know, I know, and and I think those I think those things are true. So I'm not I'm not rationally worried about anything. It's the no, it's the unknown. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Andrew, how are you? I am good. I'm a, I'm a little tired. I spent, uh, I've, I've taken three days off in this pay period and I'm still well over my 80 hours. I think I'm still at like 95. Oh my gosh. <laughs> including three days, like unscheduled days off. Like, Hey, I've worked too much. I'm taking a day off. So it's been a long, uh, response planning and recovery effort for ice storm. That is, it's still, still giving gifts, trees still coming down. You know, Andrew, have we talked about the fact that you've changed roles? I think a lot of folks who've been listening for a while, probably, I don't know that I have know that you're, a, a former at this point police officer and yeah. you've moved into emergency management. Yeah. So that's what I do now. I work in emergency management. Um, <laughs> I sleep generally at night, which is awesome. I work a normal ish schedule. Barring, Except when we have ice storms. Barring when there's disasters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. It's been a really cool change because I know exact, well, generally exactly what I'm going to do when I'm going to work. I don't have to touch yucky people. Mm-hmm. I haven't stepped in human feces in some time. Uh, yeah, you're exposed to less blood on a regular basis. Yeah, I, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't touched anyone that I didn't want to touch. Do you miss the smell of meth smoke? No, I still smell that because I do still work downtown. <laughs> uh, in fact, I smell more meth smoke. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been a, a certainly a, a cool change uh, and a, a interesting confluence of past careers and experiences coming to coming together to still work for the community in a really meaningful way but a really different way yeah and and, you know with your experience your army experience and your law enforcement experience i think you're really uniquely qualified for the job and i coalesce people like people who just don't trust the normal players in my space the bureaucrats well, the not just the bureaucrats, but the the kind of career people in this field who they went to college for it, or they went to grad school for it, or they kind of made their way into it because they happened to be in government or like something peripheral to it. Uh, I I bring a very like coalition building, like the firefighters like me, the police like me. I I, I bring some more people to the table that otherwise felt a little bit unseen. 
you, you break down some yeah. some barriers, break some down, social barriers. Yeah, break down some barriers because I I'm still getting used to how to behave in a in a true professional environment because this is the first time I've ever been in an environment where um, you don't see your coworkers in their underpants like on a really regular basis. Yeah, um, and it's interesting the barriers that that breaks down and simultaneously builds up. Like when you don't talk to your coworkers while you're both in your underpants. Uh, you you behave in a different way around them than if like <laughs> you you like when you're in the locker room and you're getting dressed and you're both in your underpants or like you're talking to each other from one shower stall to the next like that's just a different uh, professional environment that it fosters. So I'm still getting used to that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know I've said to people before that the army was the most intimate work environment I've ever had uh, because you're you're close. I mean, you, there's physical proximity. Uh, there's emotional proximity in a way that you don't get in most modern workplaces. And so that is a big change, right? Yeah. My crew, um, like my truck crew, we'd spend days, weeks within eight feet of each other all day, all day. Like my, my gunner's genitals were a foot and a half away from my head <laughs> for hours a day. Yeah. It, it creates a wholly different uh, work climate. And now you work in an environment where you have to worry about whether the new key switches you just ordered are going to be too noisy for your coworkers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They're going to be. Well, uh, <laughs> that, that's fun. I'm sure we'll have a chance to talk about your, your new role more as we proceed. But tonight, today, right now, we need to talk about watches, Andrew. We're here to talk about watches. And there's been some fun. This was a cool week. This is, I think... Uh, yeah, some neat stuff happened. Th- this has been one of my favorite... This was one of my favorite preps I've done in a while because I, you, you know, the amount of stuff that was released in the last week that I was like, this is really cool. Uh, it w- was high. Every new watch I found to send out, I was like, oh, I'm excited about this one. I don't know that I felt quite that good in a while about her. Mm. Uh, one of these roundup episodes. Well, some some hopes for 2024, right? We're in the third week of January. Is it the third or fourth? Week? It, it's the third. It's the 24th. Which the, so, no, that means that means it's the fourth week of January. Well, I'm just going to look at a calendar. It's the fourth week. I'm telling you, we're I in the fourth. Things. You don't. You know shit about fuck. Uh, <laughs> we're in the fourth week of January. Everyone's shook off their. They done shook it off. Yep. All, all, all the holiday season's gone. They're they're getting their little burst before Chinese New Year shuts it down for six weeks. <laughs> and here we are. And, and let me start. I want to start with a uh, collaboration. And I, I've been kind of hot for, uh, for field watches uh, the last few months. Um, kind of like dabbling in the zone of maybe I want this. I kind of got hot for Sangin a little bit. Um, but they're sold out and they like, I don't know. They're, they're always sold out. <clears throat> they're always sold out. And they have been since probably month three. They are doing a lot of cool kind of spec ops collaborations. And if, if I'm being honest, it's like part of what kind of gets me excited about them is a little bit of their, um, <clears throat> just the hype yeah. uh, surrounding them. Sure. But they've got a couple watches that I certainly dig that are appropriately sized. When they first released before all the hype came around and I first became aware of them, their sizing just wasn't quite what 
I wanted. They've dialed in their sizing. They've dialed in their design. Um, but anyway, we're not well, talking well, about Sangin instruments. Yeah. We're talking about a okay, Baltic time and tide hermetique night mode. And this is Blackfire. So this is a Baltic collaboration with Time and Tide, and they have released an all DLC black dial, not fotinaed, but just slightly, slightly off a of white, coming in with that uh, with that loom pads field watch. And this is money. The specs on this are a 37 millimeter case, money, 10.8 thick. Little much 46 millimeters lug to lug black PVD coating, 150 meters of water resistance, getting full points, 20 millimeter lug widths, Miota 9039, 800 bucks. This is great. It has a fully like not sh- sunk into the case crown, very much the way uh, the SNK does, which I really, really like. I know it's not super practical for a field watch because practically speaking with a field watch, you want something that you're going to be able to operate with gloves on. I'm okay. This makes it sleek and I am for it. Can I just say for a second uh, that um, Blackfire sounds like a Richard Roundtree film from the 1970s. Uh, it could be. <laughs> yeah, so we talked about the the we talked about the Hermetique when they came out in October. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, really, really neat watches. Baltic's done a cool thing. I, I think that I, I'm with you. This watch hits all of the it hits all of the points, and it is uh, yeah, black fire. Yes featuring Richard Roundtree. <laughs> yes, this is good. It comes uh, with the strap options are a green. I apologize if that offends anybody, you guys. I'm really sorry, but it seems appropriate. I, a <laughs> green and black uh, tropic straps on them. And I think that's right. I think that's the move for this. Yeah. You, you know, you're, it, it's, you said 10.8 is a little thick. I, I, I don't actually think at this price range or for this watch it is. No, um, not for this price range, but and, and, and even, for a 37, know, though. I, if like, you get this under, if you get it under 10, that's great. But we've got 150 meters of water resistance. And my assumption is that that 10.8 is not accounting for the double dome. I think it does it. Is I, it? Yep, yep, yep. Oh, so then maybe including I'm including the highly domed crystal. Oh, then I I'm going to retract my uh my thickness concern. I mean, it it looks like it wears fantastic, and coming at 37, such a good size for for a field watch. And I think that's something that's often missed with field watches. We get a ton of really good field watches in the in the 40 millimeter zone. Some coming down to 38, but that 36 to 38, just shaving a millimeter off, creates such a good sleek watch you talk about the the so this has got like half millimeter thick c3 it's, x1 blocks it's huge uh they it, it it's glows like fire these are cool the hermetique is cool in and of itself but this one specifically is pretty cool 9039 um this is a rad watch i, I actually think these hermetique hermetiques are one of the best sub thousand dollar field watches you can get 
just period. Baltic does a good job. It's not a brand. You, you know, I think we've been huge fans of Laurier. We've been huge fans of Trasco, which is not to say we're not fans of Baltic, but I don't think it's filled the same amount of our dialogue as as those other brands that I consider pretty close. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, I mean, they just put out they put out winners, dude. Every, yeah, everything they they do is like DJ Khaled. Mm-hmm. All he does is win, 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 no matter what. <laughs> Good one. I I said that the other day at work. I was like, I'm DJ Khaled. Somebody looked at me like, What do you mean? I was like, All I do is win, and they continued to look at me like I was the asshole somehow. I was like, Are you kidding me? Well, you are, but I liked it. It was I good. There. I wasn't there, but you, I liked it. You would have thrown your hands up, and they stay there. <laughs> <laughs> beat me to it. Uh, Maurice LaCroix. Maurice LaCroix. Maurice LaCroix. 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 Maurice like LaCroix the beverage. released a handful of years ago the icon spelled with an A. Because, uh, of course, they released in 2016 a handful of quartz icons uh, based on a... 1980s model of Maurice LaCroix called the Calypso. The Calypso is kind of an ugly watch, but it's very interesting. The icon sort of modernized that design and gave it a little bit of, I, I mean, let's just, let's just say what it is. It gave it a little bit of a Audemars Piquet. A little bit. Integrated thing. So, and, and, and that's in fairness though. There's only so many ways to do that. Yeah, and and that's I think it's a little unfair to say that, but I also think it's accurate. So um, the icon has been a watch that I've handled in person. We've talked about a few different versions of that watch that came out over the years. You, you know, I think for me, it comes in 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 a re. It's like that two to three thousand dollar range, um, which is just a tough price range for watches you know it's so hard to live there because just underneath that you know especially you know recently you've got formex you've got um uh monta and and really at that level or just above it you've got like banging longine you've got tudor you've got oris so you've got like and you've got Zodiac working in the similar design kind of motif, not not look, but the same kind of era feel in the same zone. That's to say, I think Maurice LaCroix gets a bit of an uh, unfair shake in that regard, which, um, you know, fine. And, and that's, that's a subjective, right? Like, I think these watches are cool. Not something that is interesting to me because of the other options available at that price. Um, with that said, fantastic watches. Um, they, they introduced their plastic case. I think I've said, you know, it's like a recycled, I think, tied plastic. I've said in the past, like, if that watch was an $800 watch, I'm all over it. But it, unfortunately, it's not. So anyway. It's, it's hard to sell recycled plastic at this price point. Like, what, what else are you doing? Because there's so many people doing that material all over the place, right? This isn't this isn't steel that is being used universally, and and we know that finishing is going to be going to be a huge factor in your pricing. Yeah. This is recycled plastic. You can only polish it so well. You can only. Uh, I'm I'm curious where the where the dollars are at 
Yeah. I, I, I think if that icon, instead of being 800 bucks or, or whatever it winds up being, is 300 you know, like a Moonswatch <clears throat> yeah. price, it, it's a no-brainer. And anyway, they, they've released a watch, two watches this week in the icon line that I, I think have uh, reawakened my interest. So these are steel, stainless steel icons. There, there are two of them. One of them is a sort of murdered out black PVD, um, which is terrific. Uh, comes on a black plastic strap. It's got, you know, great loom. But the other one, and this is the one that actually caught my eye, is a blue PVD icon. The whole thing is blue PVD. The sort of double claw markers on the bezel are polished. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does have polished elements, but it's also got significant brushed elements. And the that underneath the PVD just look fantastic. It's got that textured, uh, like grid textured dial. This thing really sings, I think. And to me, it sings in a way that the that most of the icons haven't uh they're calling this urban which i think is is slang for edgy um (laughs) you you know it's an interesting i think there's a language barrier there yeah i'm not sure you know you know seiko's doing its seiko does a lot of urban stuff which usually tends to be like either scuffed or pv black pvd um i i think this is sort of in that same vain but it's actually just rad this is a rad watch and it's just an icon it's a 39 millimeter icon there these are a little bit thick 11 and a half i believe uh or just just 11 with flat sapphire uh but you get 200 meters of water resistance you get a a a salita 200 dash one movement or yeah it's a 200 dash one i i think they call this the ml 115 or something but it's just a salita 200 dash one um oh it's bespoke made for them you know i think it does have a signed rotor uh but it's a salita um yeah these these are pretty terrific and they're coming in at 2400 francs which i think probably translates to just under a three thousand dollars uh, the blue PVD is a limited edition of 888 because that's a number that you do limited editions in. Um, I think this is terrific. It, I do sort of, for this watch, I'm like, can we get a better movement? Like, there's nothing wrong with the Salida, with, with the Salida 200, but at, at that price, I, I'd like them. I do think this is an elaborate grade 200-1. It's like the best 200-1 you can get, but still, like, can we get a better movement in here? Since we're talking about this style of watch, this is a watch that I uh, wasn't actually going to talk about, since, but since we're on the topic, kind of, um, kind of in that PRX 70s world. And I think we're seeing some brands trying to capitalize on the popularity of the PRX family from tits out, um, really bringing that design to the forefront of not just watch people's uh, 
mind, but of um, just watch buyers' minds. We have Oleg and Wages, Wags, Wage, Oleg and no, and Waz, Vages. They use the the W's <laughs> like V's. So Oleg and Vag, the OW eight thousand one, um, super similar design cues. Um, I think, I think I I prefer it to the PRX, um, and I can't exactly tell you why. When I look at this, I have a I have a a more positive little gut feeling to the PRX line. Uh, it's a little big. I, I think if this came in a thirty five, because the PRX thirty five is is the hottest of fire. Um, thirty nine and a half millimeter case, twelve seven thick. 300 meters of water resistance. A double lacquered Havana Fume dial with a Soprod P092 Cosk certified movement. And what's interesting about this Cosk uh, certification, um, it offers a chronofiable certification along with its cost certification what is, what is that which mean? is something that i was unfamiliar with so it's not just that it's cost certified uh time accuracy it's cost it, it's like a another iso layer of certification that tests the durability of said movement maintaining cost sort or cost uh um tolerances so testing at variable wind amounts, variable environmental conditions, um, magnetism introduction, uh, thing, things like that. So like kind of the way a G-Shock is, is how this is my very lay person description of it, reading about this certification. It's a little bit pressure, not pressure, like actual water pressure tested, but uh, torture testing of the whether or not it remains true to its cost certifications. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, I didn't do a whole lot of research into the um, veracity of that. Right. And like if anybody else is using it, uh, you know, I don't know if this is something that like ball is using when they're using their, their cages to protect their movements or, but it's some, it's a vein, it's a rabbit hole that I'll be going down because it's certainly intriguing to be torture testing mechanical movements whether or not they can maintain their cost integrity. Definitely intriguing. Now, the reason that I decided to talk about this is because it's a similar style. It's certainly very different, but these are coming in at... Um, like 1,800. 1,800 francs. So, you know, 2,000 bucks. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know much about the Soprod P92, um, but a torture-tested cost movement seems like... I mean... I, I can kind of get behind that. Yeah, you know, I, I, I looked at these when they came out last year, and I thought, you, you know, I, for me, this watch is a lot more interesting than the Maurice LaCroix Icon. I, I think it's probably a better watch. It's got, you know, tons of water resistance. It's, I think, 300 meters on this. 300, yeah. Uh, you got a better movement. You, you know, I personally, this is subjective, but I really like the way, like, Oleg and Waj, uh branding efforts. I, I think the, their fonts and their logos are better. I, I will say there's, I, I don't love 
The way this watch looks, though. I, I remember when these came out, I saw top down. And I was like, ooh, that is sick. And then I saw a top down of the inspiration of this watch, which is a which is way cooler, which is a TV dial chronograph. That's <laughs> fucking rad. But there's a problem. I think there's a problem with the with the the strap to watch head junction. The the watch is actually pretty thick, and they've given it like this brutalist slab side. But the the bracelet is actually pretty thin, and, mm-hmm. and it looks comfortable. But when because they want it to have that seamless sort of integrated look, the bracelet sits high. It creates a weird void. Yeah. And there's a void there. So I don't know if that's actually a problem having not touched one of these or put one on my wrist, but I don't, <clears throat> at least from the photos, I don't love that. What I can say is that Frank will hate it uh, because of the dive extension on the clasp. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> He'll hate it. So, I, Andrew, I want to talk about a watch from a company called Citizen. Uh, it's a little watch company out of They're Japan. New, right? Last couple of years. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Citizen has released its first ever mechanical GMT watch. This is going to be my favorite release of the year, I think. So, like, it, this is my bar. This thing is freaking rad. So there's actually two of them. One of them is a silver stainless steel case. I, you get some Nighthawk vibes. You've got Very, a slide yeah. rule, um, but it's a mechanical automatic GMT. It does have that standard ProMaster sort of vibe to it and feel to it. The The silver steel one has kind of like a drab gray bezel it's a 24 hour bezel for the gmt hand which makes sense you've got a left hand crown to operate the slide rule you've got a right hand crown for the rest of your functions it's got a date uh red gmt hand but that is not the one that gets me uh slippery between my legs really the there is a gray pvd version it's very monochromatic same exact functionality, black hands. This is not a watch that I would normally like. I do not like this type of tonality on a watch. I can't believe this is what's getting you wet. But this watch is okay. So the steel, like the partial PVD, is like I'm. I'm probably going to buy this this year. So the bracelet on this thing is fucking rad. It's a rad bracelet. It looks like a ProMaster, but I think it's going to be an extremely well. Mm-hmm. Uh, this bracelet, it's got sort of like a, like a Bremont vibe to it. Maybe, um, it, this watch looks freaking rad. And with that gray PVD, like almost murdered out, it's not murdered out cause it's not black. It's like a monotone gray PVD, like sort of a, I think almost, these are the, um, the Nighthawk bracelets. No, I don't think it is. I think it's a I think it's a different bracelet than the Nighthawk. Um, anyway, we we just have to say these <sighs> things are huge. Yeah, forty four and a half millimeters. Yeah, they big dude. This is the same bracelet. Oh no, it, it's they not. Had it, they, so this is a faux five link. It could actually be a true five link. I think it might be a true five link, but I don't know. I shouldn't say that, but I think it looks to me like it might be a true five link. I don't know, man. I think if you if you look at these, it could be a true five link. But look, just kind of, it's yeah. the, it's the same the same bracelet shape. 
It is the same bracelet shape. It it may be a faux five link. It it the the it looks like a real seam though. I, it could it could very well be a true five link. And and either way, the Nighthawk bracelet is so good, rad. <clears throat> so I, I'm pumped about these watches. They're huge. By the way, uh, Nighthawks right now on Amazon two hundred fifty five bucks. This watch not two hundred and some dollars. This watch is. I believe a thousand bucks, which is a lot of 11, money. They're they're eleven twenty five and eleven seventy five. Eleven seventy five for the full, full PVD. I, I am might buy a Nighthawk. I imagine you could get you'll be able to get these for a little bit less than that, which seems to be the case. But they're they're calling this the what are they calling this? Uh, mechanical GMT. Is that right? No. Citizen doesn't do a good job Citizens naming their watches. Promaster. Yeah, the Promaster Automatic GMT is what I'm, is probably what it's going to be called. Yeah. The Mechanical GMT, Citizen Promaster Pro Mechanical GMT. Uh, these the are NB sixty four six five nine E. Yeah, that's right. These are terrific, and except for being huge, I think they're virtually perfect. You've got magnetic resistance. Uh, you've got a GMT, you've got 20 bars of water resistance. Uh, but in the way of like the way Citizen designs watches, this is a very on-brand tool watch for them. This is fitting in their aviator line of big, legible tool watches. It, yeah, that that's true. And, and you know, the, the nice thing about this watch, you know, one of the things that I, I think has always turned me off about like the Nighthawk, for instance, is you're just as likely to see someone who's like into watches wearing a Nighthawk as you are to see like some CPA who picked his up at Macy's one day back in the, you know, 2011s. Uh, you, you know, so this watch is going to be special in a different way. This is not a, a an impulse buy. No, because because of the price tag associated with it. Yeah. I, I might buy a Nighthawk right now. <laughs> What's next, Andrew? Two hundred fifty five bucks. Uh, next up, there's been a lot of interesting litigation around watches as of late. We have the French uh, Federal Trade Commission doing some monopoly stuff with Rolex. Uh, we have the Germans seizing the governor for watches. And now we have some litigation around insurance claims. So a Dutch insurance company had to pay full secondary market price sort of to a consumer a, a customer of this insurance company so fella had his watch stolen he had an air king stolen right yeah a sky dweller not an air king yeah a sky yeah, dweller a sky dweller stolen filed a claim they're like hey they're 143 brand new sweet he goes to the AD and they're like, hey man, sorry, it's a three-year wait for that price. But if you pay us... A minimum, a minimum yeah, three-year wait. A minimum three-year wait. But if you pay us 20000 today, you can leave with this one. 25,000 euro. Yeah. I'm not, I'm rough. Your I'm, details are, are lacking today, Andrew. Oh my gosh. 
So homie buys this double the retail value of the watch at his authorized dealer because that was what they could do. They had one in stock and they're willing to bump somebody on the wait list to double their income for the day. And he goes back, he buys it and he goes back and he files an additional claim with his insurance company to cover the Delta and they laugh as one should. They're like, no, you can buy this watch for 14,300 or whatever the amount was. And he goes to the, the, what's the name of it? It's also a silly name. It's some Dutch financial institute. You you know, it's it's the better business bureau who apparently has some like, uh, some teeth in. I I think, (laughs) yeah, I think actually they, they have sort of a bifurcated or a, a, a a multi-layered judiciary, but yeah, the Dutch Institute for financial disputes. Yeah. So they, they go and they start investigating and they look at the terms of his, um, of his insurance policy and they find that the language wasn't sufficient. And they also have a very, um, this is important to note if there is any kind of question about the language tie goes to the claimant, like it goes to the consumer, which is cool. Uh, which not necessarily, not usually the case in, in U S law, uh, tie goes to the, to the person with a little bit deeper pockets. Um, Right? I mean, tell me I'm wrong. No, you're a civil you, litigator. Yeah, you're wrong. So th- there's a principle in... Uh, so the article I read about this uh, is has done a good job about talking about the important facts. I think that they've missed some of the nuance that th- they're not talking about this in the way a lawyer would talk about this. But I think that idea that the tie goes to, in this case, the claimant or, or perhaps, you, you know, the non-scrivener is the way mm. we would refer to that in in the American legal system, um, and and so for instance, if uh, one of my clients comes to me and says, "Hey, I'm going to sell a property to someone," uh, there's this assumption, uh, and I'm going to prepare the contract. If the other side doesn't have an attorney, there's this at- assumption that me as the scrivener, and, and and the seller as the party with the lawyer has to be right when we draft the language. And so lawyers will try to get around this, and and I often put in non-scrivener clauses in, in contracts that I prepare, which is to say, you, you know... <laughs> I'm the, good, but I'm not that good. The parties have each had an opportunity to review this and meet with counsel as appropriate, and to that end, no, there's no scrivener to, to assume uh, ambiguities against. But that is a thing. that that That's an actual principle that applies in our common law and even in statutory contexts, sometimes, depending on what you're practicing. So that, that principle feels good to me. So basically, they're saying there's an ambiguity. Specifically here, the ambiguity was around the word buy. What does it mean to buy? And, and here they determined that means to buy now. There's an ambiguity about what it means to buy. And so we agree with the claimant. That means to buy now. And this is how much it costs to buy now. This is It's actually fascinating. It's a fun legal case. It's fun not just because it's watches, but because law is awesome. Uh, but yeah. It's fascinating to see case law occurring around the lack of availability of at-market-price 
Rolex. And, and this is the type of decision that will shape the way contracts are formed in, in uh, probably internationally, right? There's going to be... This is going to get referenced in yes. this French case about the ability to sell online. And can I just say, uh, we've I, I spoke highly of the Skydweller recently in a recent episode. And since then, I've had a handful of conversations with people about the Skydweller. Mostly people saying, the Skydweller sucks, Everett. I said something to the effect of, this is low-key Rolex's most interesting watch. Everybody's got their reasons why it's not. Uh, our friends Spence and Buzz talked about... The Skydweller on last week's Whiskey and Watches podcast. I talked to Spence afterwards. They kind of trashed it. Uh, I think the Skydweller is really a very cool watch. I disagree that it's not attractive. I think it's incredibly attractive. It's uh, different than their lineup. I think that's what people don't like. And it's got the coolest movement that Rolex makes. Uh, but yeah, this was fun. I'm, I'm glad you talked about this. This is a fun... It's a fun thing going on. It's really interesting to see something as trivial as Rolex supply issues becoming globally important case law. Andrew. Everett. How many watches can you think of that have a slide roll? I don't know, four or five. Two. You can think of two. You got the Navitimer and you got the Nighthawk. Yeah, and all their iterations. <laughs> so 20. <laughs> yeah. Breitling introduced a watch this last week with a slide rule. Not Breitling. Yeah. Boulder. Saying, you're wrong. Breitling didn't introduce anything this week. Boulder introduced a watch this last week with a slide rule. Uh, they're calling this the Expedition Enigmath, which I don't know what Enigmath means but I like it. It's one of those words that I'm like, <laughs> you know what it is? It's a joke. Nobody knows how to use a slide rule. So it's an enigma, but it can do math. <laughs> it might be, they, honestly, that they, might be they right. are for sure punking everyone right now. Uh, this is a really terrific watch. It's a dual crown as a slide rule watch should be. You've got a four o'clock crown for the time, I believe, and a two o'clock crown, both on the right side for the slide rule. Um, and, you know, Boulder's this fantastic company that's just making terrific watch. This comes with a Miyota 9039, which I'm on record as being a huge fan of. It's 41 millimeters, which I think is a perfect size for this watch. Big 200 meters of water resistance. This is actually short of being a dual time. This is like the micro brand Nighthawk, right? Um, mm -hmm. I really, really like this watch. I don't Organ go ahead. I had to burp. I don't like the strap options that they are providing with it. The padded quilted canvas. Yeah. I I'm, I'm probably with you on that. I actually wish this came on a Boulder does such a good job with the bracelets. I wish this came on a bracelet, but bracelets, the answer. And if we're not going to do that, like, give me, give me like a, a tropic for this. Yes. Yeah, it has that like 60s, 70s feel that a tropic would be a perfect fit for the canvas kind of seems like an afterthought. So this is a blasted finish. Um, it is a exhibition case back, which with the 9039 was like, man. <laughs> um, it comes in, from what I can tell, three colors. It's got like sort of an ombre blue 
It's got an ombre drab and a black, which for me also ombre, like sort of gray to darker on the outside. Um, it's got that really sort of cutting, brutalist style that Boulder's known for on the crowns, really visible on the crowns. It's got just a bit of a bump in between the two crowns. The handset's interesting without being obscene. This is a terrific watch, and I really love it. I, I'm with you, though, Andrew. This, the strap choices leave a little something to be desired, at least for me. Um, the, it This feels a little bit like the Expedition, but it's also totally different. And in fact, I think it's probably a similar... Um, I, I think the case is probably a bit similar. It's the same size. Um uh, Boulder does such a good job with their um, design DNA. This is so clearly a Boulder. Yeah. And it's so different than everything they've done, but it's also so similar. Do you know, does the Expedition have that bump in between the crowns? I don't think the the standard Expedition, I don't think it does. And this actually has that that bump on both sides. Mm -hmm. It's a symmetrical bump. I, I think this watch is just terrific. Yeah, this is great. This is one of one of my favorite releases from them. If we could get this thing on a bracelet, man. Five ninety nine too. Yeah, six hundred bucks. Yeah. There and it's available now. Yeah, there Boulder's doing some really cool shit. Yeah, a company from Singapore. Really, really great company. We're big fans. And they just keep churning it out. Like low key, they yeah, they're just doing it. What's next, Andrew? I think we got time for one more each. Uh, okay. Oh, gosh. Oh, this is hard. Okay. Um, the new Fears Brunswick 40 Topper Edition Series 2. Um, Fears can do no wrong in my book. Yeah. They are killing it. So the Brunswick 40 Topper edition series two i'm not really sure where there should be commas like th- this it's a strange name that's what well, we can start there if we're gonna be critical <laughs> um it's a long name so i think it's the brunswick 40 topper edition series two yeah i do feel like they need some punctuation to m- help you know simpletons like me um this is gorgeous Tonneau case with a really, really interesting lug set, big, fat, pumpkin crown. Yeah, I'm going to say pumpkin. I'm comfortable with that. Onion, pumpkin. Not real good angles. I think pumpkin's the right word. I mean, I think onion. I think it's an onion crown. But I hear you. Pumpkin is fine. I like pumpkin for this. I smacked my mic. Don't care. So this is actually Fear's second collaboration with Topper. I know that they did one back in 2022, mm-hmm. and it was it was a beautiful watch. Um, I, I'm with you. You know the the Brunswick 40 is a, is in Fear's regular um, catalog, but this is it's got like. Of course, a California dial topper being from the Barry in California. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got fantastic details. 
I think this is, I mean, it feels like a different watch than the Brunswick 40. The colorways that they've introduced are fantastic. So first colorway, we have this really great kind of just splash a teal in the blue a then um is that the the all blue dial the the all blue and then winter winter lake is what they're calling it and i think it's a really lovely color it's one of my favorite blues we have a uh what are they calling the white snowed in and i think this one's not good on that's just me orange canvas uh the one that is no snowed in is the is the green that's the one i don't like so there's the one with it's like a green in the middle so white out is the white snowed in is is the most interesting to me and the one that i don't like it is um like a reverse ombre green to white it's and it it, and the green is in that like what do they call that that printing medium that they used for like comics and newspapers which was like a grid of colors. Oh. I don't know what you call that, but that's what it looks like yeah. to me. I'm not feeling it. It, it. it seems like too much for it, me. It's it's super interesting on brown leather. I don't it's not a watch that I would ever wear, but the it's it's there, right? It's super cool. It's creative. It's an interesting collaborative choice. There's a Pacific, which is a similar blue to the one that is money. But it has uh, gold. Actually, is that gold or yellow? We're going to go with gold. Uh, gold borders on the markers and hands. That's definitely gilt, yeah. Yeah, these are. this is a really cool colorway release collaboration. The blue is the, uh, what are they calling the blue? Well, the, the dark there's the dark blue, which is the winter lake. That's yes. the one I really like. And then that blue green is called with the gilt. Is no, called we don't. Pacific. We don't like that. I'm and okay. we don't like the whiteout. I'm okay with Pacific. In. And I, uh, yeah, Snowden, not huge fan. Not Snowden, not the name. Snowed like you're like the snow has prevented you from leaving. The whiteout is like a polar explorer vibe. Beautiful, yeah. love it. Um. And then yeah, that Pacific I think is fine with the guild. I don't hate it, but yeah, that that snowed in. I'm not feeling it. Yeah, this is the Winter Lake is. Whew, whew, it's good, great finishing, super well, crisp. It's, it's fears, right? Yeah, right. They can do no wrong. Yeah. Besides snowed in, and we're gonna blame that on uh, Topper. <laughs> um, I got one more watch I want to talk about. This is a watch from a big brand. Uh, a watch from Hamilton. Ooh. Uh, I'm wearing my Hamilton coupe tonight, a.k.a. the Hamilton Khaki Pilot Aviation. I, that's a, such a, like, that you own that and the the Titanium G. You're a confusing man. <laughs> I would, because that's a normal watch for you and it's it's still a kind of a weird watch yeah so i've got the you know the hamilton coupe is a black dial i've got the silver dial mostly because i had the opportunity to get this for a terrific price it is i think just a stunning watch it's a little big um it's got kind of a weird dial it's 
you, you know, it, it's an interesting watch, but I do, I, I was enamored by it enough to buy it. I purchased it. I love it. Um, Hamilton's releasing a new set of khaki aviation pilots, uh, and they're different. They're different. So there are a total of seven of these. There are four of these in a brand new 36 millimeter format. And man, I got to tell you, I think that 36 millimeters is a really interesting size for these. Now, these all come with uh, with Powermatic movements. They're, they're calling them H10s and H30s respectively for dates and no dates uh, or excuse me, no dates and date versions. Uh, we, we've talked about that movement a ton. I think it's a very good movement and, and the 80 hours is really interesting. These are all coming with new X1 Superluminova. Um, they have the same handset, but these have different dials. So the dial on the coupe or the original khaki aviation pilots uh, is beautiful. It's got these raised polished Arabic numerals. Um, it's a true and they're minute numerals. So so that makes it interesting. You've got a 24 hour track. These new ones dispense with the numerals, the minute numerals at the corners and you've got dashes at three, six and nine and a big triangle at 12. These are like a recessed X1 loom plot. And it looks really, really good. I don't know that I like it more or less than the original version. One thing I'm a little disappointed with is that they've taken away those big polished steel raised numerals in favor of a pad printed numeral. I think they kind of had to. Yeah. The dial is more interesting. The dial is more dynamic. Um, but I think it maybe takes away a little of the intrigue. You also get this vintage Hamilton logo above the Hamilton text. Um, yeah, I, I'm having a hard time disliking these, especially in the 36. I'm like, yeah, that is fantastic. They also released two new 42 millimeter versions, which the, the original that I own is 42. It's a big, it's a big bold and watch. Heavy. Yeah, it's yeah, on the bracelet in particular, it's pretty heavy. They've released two new 42 millimeter versions um on on straps. Uh, and they released, so there's an olive with brushed nickel hands, um, and then like, a, a another silver dial. Um, and then they've released a really lovely blue version on a bracelet. Hamilton oftentimes does this where it's like, if you want this version, you're stuck with the strap. If you want this version, you can get a bracelet. I'm not mm -hmm. a huge fan of that, but make them universal, man. Put everything on a bracelet. Let me choose. Like the the only, <clears throat> yeah. And, and I don't know why they do that. There must be a good reason for it, supply chain or something. But um, yeah, these are pretty cool, and I think it's a really good update to a pretty good watch that is maybe low key. I think this watch is a little bit of a sleeper. Because everybody that sees it is like, oh, that's really cool. The, I wish they'd have kept the 
day date format the same. That's yep, Andrew, you know that I yeah. forgot to talk about that. This is no longer a day date. So the 36 millimeters are no date. The 42 millimeters are date only. Uh, you do not get that big, lovely 12 o'clock day of the week that you do on the old one. So no, that's a big difference. No, you get you get a date. You you get a day, but it's a, it's at the three o'clock. Oh oh oh! You, you don't okay. get the twelve o'clock banner, full day written out. Yeah, like a kind of president a, style almost. Yeah, it from its onset, it was a strange design thing, and then kind of just became this thing that's super attractive and kind of weird, and right? It's this weird like. It's a sleeper watch, man, because you never yeah. hear anybody talking about it. Like, it's not making any lists. No. It's not the top of anybody's, but I love it. It's one of my, I mean, I've got probably three or four watches that I'm wearing a lot. And then I've got this next level of watches. This is maybe tier. five or six. And this is one of the most worn watches in that second tier for me. I can because get down, it's such a quality watch. I can get down with one of these 36s. Yeah, I and and I'm I'm gonna just say this is the watch that kind of changed my mind about wearing bigger watches. I am more so than I have been in a, quite a while, sort of leaning into give me a little bit bigger watch. That's why that that citizen. I'm like, yeah, I might be able to wear that. Thousand bucks. Yeah, thousand for, bucks for both these. of these. Yeah. yeah, which isn't cheap. No, but it's the right price for this watch. Yeah, and and you're you're getting all the brand heritage. You're getting, you're getting. These are a really good value proposition when you're when you're considering what what Hamilton is producing. You, you know the because that's what a twenty year old watch. This? Yeah. No, it's not that old. I want to say this is maybe ten years old. Oh. Oh, you mean the design of the watch? No, the watch that what you have. I think this is ten years old. You did have an uh, a pin. Loose. That's what I was doing over here. I was. Oh, you were fixing my loose pin. Yeah. Thank you. For and then that. on the other side, there's like a pin that seems to be the wrong length. Right. It's like like recessed on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking to see if it was even in there. Pin and collar construction on the on mine. I don't know if that's still the case with the new ones. Oh, uh, let's see if there's a profile picture of any of these bracelets. Andrew, I think we've done it. Anything else that you feel like you got to talk about before we move on? No, I never have anything of value to contribute. Well, then I will go ahead and give it to you for your other thing for the week. Get oh. other things. <clears throat> what do you got? I have another thing for the week. So something that I've I, I like I like to bake bread, um, and I don't use a bread maker. Um, I like fresh bread. Yeah, bread makers are dumb. No, yeah, they're not. Dumb. Um, but they're super convenient. I totally see the value. I just, I have a lot of uh, countertop appliances that get a lot of regular use and it's hard for me to justify adding a new one. Like I don't have an air fryer because it's hard for me to justify adding a new thing to my counter. I know that I should have an air fryer, but I also know that I don't want more shit on my counter. Um... So every time I make bread, I'm like, ah, oh, man, I really want, like, I, and I go buy sourdough bread always. And the other day I was making bread and I was like, I'm going to make a sourdough starter. Sourdough starters have always been something that I've been kind of intimidated by because you look them up on the internet and there's all, there's 
thousands of articles. You go to the, like, you go to look to buy one. You're like, you can buy this thousand-year-old Welsh sourdough starter. You can buy this King Arthur several hundred-year-old bitch. And it's like, man, what's going on? And you you look at San Francisco sourdough, and it's always like, oh, this, you know, we have the mother dough starter. And it's just, it's kind of daunting. Very daunting. Reading about starting a sourdough starter is intimidating in a way that it should not be. It makes you not do it, right? So for the better part of a decade, I have been aware of it and just not doing it because I've, I've not been willing to tackle the task. A week ago today, I was making bread and I said, fuck it. And I read probably a hundred or so articles oh and recipes. <clears throat> it came down to just fucking do it. Just do it. Just, just do, do it. it. So as, like, as a guy who maintained a sourdough starter for two years once, just do it. So it's I way easier than you think. I didn't do pumpernickel. I didn't do like the special King Arthur's. I used AP flour and water. I mixed it up. I covered it with a rag a rubber band that came off of green onions that I happened to be chopping up for dinner that night. This and a day later, nothing. And I was like, well, it's because you're stupid. One more day later and it's going. I am one weekend and I have a bubbly, sour, funky starter on my counter. I haven't done anything with the discard because it like it rolled into one of the weirdest weeks of work I've ever had. Uh, but starting this weekend, I'm going to be doing some discard stuff and I am in the zone that I will be in the sourdough realm. It's not a thousand years old, but I started it. I made it. It's my baby. And I, for those of you who have been intimidated by it, just do it. So that's my thing. I'm going to link a <clears throat> a recipe. It's from King Arthur Baking. It's not the one that I used. I don't even know the one that I used. But here was what it was. Half cup flour, third to quarter cup water. Mix it up. Let it double in size. Scoop half of it out into the trash. Half cup flour, third to a quarter cup water. Just get it. That's how you do a starter. Not Not full slurry, just a little thicker than a slurry. Yep. Just gooey, like a gack. Get it the consistency of gack. Maybe a little wetter. A wet gack. Yeah. So have you have you made any decisions? So I, I did sourdough for, for about two years, and I was doing it twice a week. Um, and I tried a lot of different stuff. Have you thought about a recipe? For what to make with it? <clears throat> no, your bread recipe. Like for, for what, like a bread recipe for it? Yeah. So, so uh, the, the question I'm getting to here is there's a, there's a divide in the sourdough community of people who use a tablespoon of starter and create a leaven from that versus the people who use the discard as their leaven. Yeah, the discard is going to be my leaven. Yeah, it, I will tell you that is my preference and and the reason it's my preference. Cuz I'm lazy. No, it, it's because you get a funkier bread with when you use the leaven. So if you make a leaven with a tablespoon of your starter, 
you get this really fresh, clean sourdough. If you use the leaven, it's oftentimes going to be a little slower. Yeah, you got to let it. Your bulk, your bulk rise is going to take a little bit longer, mm-hmm. but you get this funkier, more acidic, slightly less active dough. That's my preference. You just get a much more, I think, pleasant tasting bread, more sourdough bread. I'm going to get some citric acid, aka sour salt. And yeah, don't mess with that too much, at least at first. I'm going to use just a little bit of it. In, in lieu of salt, like maybe a 50-50 combination in okay. the dough recipes just to add a little bit, like get that tartness because I don't expect with a really young starter, I'm going to get the tartness. You, you know, so that's another thing that gets messed up when people talk about this. So anybody that says get a starter from San Francisco is a fool because within like 72 hours of taking, you could go to San Francisco Go to Tartine or go to Bowdoin's or whatever. Get a starter from there. Take it home. And it's like 72 hours later that native yeasts will have completely populated mm-hmm. and eliminated <clears throat> those Welsh or San Francisco yeasts. It's a really quick process because the yeasts are, it's a colony and the colony takes from the environment so it's almost immediate that you're going to not have that so it doesn't make any i've done i've done beer side by side though with yeast like from that's different that's different because your sourdough starter is is a living is a is a colony that's living and repopulating itself on a regular basis constantly and That's so fair, it's, yeah. it's just a matter of time. When you get yeast and put it into beer, you're not, it's not adding to itself. You're taking that yeast and putting it directly into the product. Because I've done side by side with the same yeast that was that pre, that came from a different beer against brand new out the package yeast. And it, it produced similar like cousin beers. That's a different situation, though, right? Yeah, because one's not an, one has been used, and I'm reactivating versus an actively living colony. Yeah. But point of this other thing, it is not as intimidating as it seems, and it smells great. Like I, I know that this is this is going to yield good results, be, just because of the odor of the starter. Andrew, in this last week slash week and a half, I have, I have acquired purchased four weeks of other things and i'm going to start today with a big one and i'm excited about it but i'm just letting you know i i i I did some stuff in the last three weeks i bought some stuff i'm excited about all of it it was that week at home (laughs) it was the week at home so i am i'm excited for these next few weeks but today i'm gonna start i bought a thing so i have been a Mm. person who has wet shaved for years, um, I own I own three vintage Gillette razors. I at one point had a Mercure razor. You were even cur- courteous enough to remove the blade. I was. I was. In fact, I um, was in the army for years and years and years. Twenty twenty, I came out of the army at the same time. The whole world lost its mind, and everybody grew a beard. So it's been about 
there was like a two and a half year period there where I didn't shave all that often and rocked a beard. Um, I have since gone back to shaving several times a week. Some of your face. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, I have added a, I have added a lip worm. Um, <laughs> but this last week I, or, you know, about a week and a half ago, I decided, you know what? I want a French tickler. I want a new razor. I've got these old <laughs> Gillettes. I'm really happy with them. They're beautiful, but I kind of want to buy like a new razor. And what's I'm, 2024 have to offer. Right. Instead that's of right. 1950. <laughs> that's right. I, and so I started, you know, hunkering down, reading the forums, um, looking at videos. And I, I wasn't planning to buy a hot, like a super high end razor. I was planning to buy sort of a like good, well-made modern razor. And I kept coming back to this razor made by a company called Blackland. Blackland released a few years ago a razor called the Blackbird, which instantly like garnered a lot of praise. And but it, there were some criticisms. The criticism was because of the weight of fully machined stainless steel razor. It tended to be pretty aggressive. I want that. Last year, Blackland released basically the same exact razor, but in titanium, which reduces the weight by a ton. Uh, I think like ninety. Yeah. 90 uh, grams to 40 grams or 44 grams. So I purchased a Blackland Blackbird titanium razor. This is a, a satin finish or like a sort of a blasted yeah. finish. Um, it's super expensive. Uh, well, it's not, right? We're watch people. But it, for a razor, this thing costs an arm and a leg. It, but. He, just I, just to reference how expensive I'll link it in the notes. Um <clears throat> he whispered the name of it to me outside his house and said, Don't talk about it. <laughs> and I looked it up and immediately understood why. So it's a big purchase. I didn't really intend to spend this much it's money not on a razor. But uh, I did, and I got it, and I've shaved with it. And I gotta say, as I got, like I said, I've used these old Gillettes for years. They've served me very, very well. One of them I picked up for like six bucks. It's a Gillette Tech. It's fantastic. I love it. Uh, this is a lot more money than that. Mm-hmm. Um, is it? Is it twenty times as good as that? I don't. I don't know. Probably not. The, the, Fifty times? How much is that? Bad? A lot of times. The the one thing that I do like that I, I I've always kind of not liked about because I have a 1950s open comb Gillette. The handle is so short. Mm. Um, this is the long. This mm-hmm. is the long handle version of this. So I got the long handle with the safety bar as it, opposed to the open comb, and it's a full inch longer than the handle on the razor that e- I easily yeah maybe an inch in height. Uh, that's always been my complaint. I just want a, like. A half an inch would be good. An inch and a half would be much better. Uh, that it does not convince me to to spend that kind of money on it. Um, you, you know, there are a lot of razors that have come out in the last five years that would do the things you're talking about that don't cost 320 bucks. No, but I already have one that does the job really well. Me and too. I like it. I just uh, like buying shit, Andrew. No, I know. I get that. But I, I want to buy some other things before I, one of those could get out of the stable. So anyway, I bought a new razor. And I guess I have to report that 
I love it. Why do you choose straight bar over an open comb? I chose the straight bar because I read about it and the vast majority of bar. people that had used both preferred this based on the performance. And so I just went with the I went with the popular opinion on the safety bar versus the open comb. I've done a couple safety bars. I don't know even what happened to them. Um I didn't dig them. I I liked the open comb. You know the difference like be- the open comb. The difference between <clears throat> this razor and uh, uh, any sort of vintage Gillette is that the manufacturer has engineered the blade gap. So it, I I think you'll find this is a more aggressive razor even with the safety bar than your open comb Gillette. Um, but the angles, so they really work on blade gap and angles and, and this is engineered to a, to a T. And so the first thing I noticed when I started rate shaving was like, there's no, like, there's no awkwardness. You put it to your face and you can feel like, Oh, that's where I'm supposed to be. And the angles that everything is at is just incredible. You don't have to learn it. You don't have to learn it. Because that's one of the hard parts about transitioning to vintage razors is you got to learn the angle of each head. And and sure, there's going to be some learning curve to this, but it but because of the way it's positioned, you put it on your face and it's very obvious. It's like, oh, there Dennis. I am. I noticed with my chin, I'm going to need to work on my chin a little bit because it it I it, that high more exposed, bigger blade angle gave me some discomfort. Um, but I think I think over time that's going to be fine. But on the cheeks, it was just like. Brrrp. I found that with a straight razor because um, I tried that for some time. <clears throat> I could get really good, precise on the flat surfaces of my face, but working my upper lip and my chin and my jawline, I just could never get the angles right. But well, it was a great shave on the flat surfaces. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, straight razors are hard. Mm-hmm. Well, there you have it. We did it once again, Andrew. Anything you want to add before we go? We're just experts. We are experts at everything, pretty much. The intersection of uh, odd hobbies that coalesce with watches is is vast. I got some intersections these next few weeks. Yeah. I got a new bag. I'm going to bring some heat these next few weeks. You got your mystery wrench bag. You I got my mystery wrench bag. Yeah, it's very good. I might end up talking. It might be my other thing next week because I have nothing bad to say. Nothing. Hey, you guys. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast. Do me a favor and check us out at the website, watchclicker.com. That is where we post every single episode of this podcast, but also articles and reviews and other written things about watches. If you'd like to check us out on social media, you can do that at watch clicker or at 40 and 20 underscore watch clicker. If you want to support what we're doing at watch clicker, you can do that at patreon.com slash 40 and 20. Look, we don't really get paid for any of this. All the money that we get that goes to hosting and hardware and software, we get it from our supporters. So uh, everybody who's been supporting us for four years, we thank you so much. And the people that join us in the last month to support us, we thank you guys too. 
uh, patreon.com slash 40 and 20. Check it out, you guys. It's not a lot of money and it helps us. And don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>